0: Hey, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. And thank you to everybody who listened to my last episode on Lost in Translation. That was a lot of fun for me and my actual blood-related cousin to do, since he is a former film major and I am me. And I was thinking... So the process about that was, I was thinking about what I wanted to do when I was on vacation, which is where you got those kind of more philosophically based two episodes, that was because Alex was in the deep south getting himself some good food um but um also having deep emotional cries about segregation and racism and all sorts of terrible things um but i was i got to thinking I'm like ah, maybe I should record an episode on Lost in Translation, because, and this is, this is, we talked about this a little in the episode, and if you are interested in hearing what I have to say, or what a f- former film major has to say about Lost in Translation, I encourage you to go back and listen to that, because we had a lot of fun making it, people have seemed to really like it, um, and it's just a fun time all around. But I got thinking about, like, oh, I should talk about Lost in Translation. And then it all clicked into place, and I was like, if I'm going to talk about Lost in Translation, I should rope Danny, my cousin, into this whole mess. Um, I had done that twice before, which I might release on this feed because they're just fun podcasts, with two different movies in the previous podcast that I hosted Um, that was a little less. It was less tightly formed than this one, and I wanted this one to be really about, at if not anime, but anime adjacent things. But the thing we talked about there was there was a point in recent, in the recent, in recent history, uh, kind of around what people refer to as the bubble, where. Japan was cool, quote-unquote. Like, Japan as a country and everything that came from Japan was seen as this, like, cool thing. And uh, while for lots of people listening to this, including me, that never quite went away, but it was it was such a... It had such critical mass at the time that um, I think 2000, 2003 would have been right in it. At the time that that movie came out, that all kinds of that stuff was coming out all the time. It was all variegated shades of like insensitive in a way that Lost in Translation definitely is. But I just I wanted to specifically talk about that film on this feed because I think it's important to put that stuff out there alongside anime because. It all has some, ta- even if it's only tangential, relationship to each other. And if you saw it in the past pu- couple podcasts, man, Alex's mic audio sounds pretty weird, like he's Max Headroom lately. That is not on purpose. I've had a bad mic. My microphone went bad. And if I sound like an air traffic controller, it's because I feel like an air traffic controller. Not that I've been out of work or. Months plus, but um more that i um am using a gaming headset to record this because I want to make sure that the recording is good and the recording is indeed good uh using the headset um but without further ado, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, I wanna to put a spoiler warning up, so' spoiler warning. I'm gonna spoil the crap out of this movie. If you still want to see the movie I'm going we're going I'm going to talk about in this podcast, then go see it and come back and listen to this because I'll be talking about specific plot points and like all that shit, so spoiler warning. Without further ado though, this time we're gonna be talking about what is getting a a movie that is getting a lot better buzz now than the first time around because it came out against the biggest movie on the planet, Your Name, and that movie is A Silent Voice. いじめもう美夏を泣かせたくないってそういやの。ありがとう、石田。For anybody who coming to this podcast new and this is the first time you're listening to it, welcome. Hi, my name is Alex. I ramble about cartoons on the internet, specifically anime, sometimes live-action movies. See last week for more on that, or, you know, it's the beginning of this podcast. But for anybody who hasn't, who has been listening for a while, you may have heard me say this, but if you haven't, here's one of the big reasons I wanted to talk about A Silent Voice, is I'm physically disabled. At, but I am physically disabled in a way that allows me to exist in the world without impediment. Short of one thing and only one thing, and that is tying my shoes and I wear flip on shoes, basically since they were a main thing so i I have the privilege of being the kind of disabled person who, while I do experience the act like the I do have the experience of being disabled, I am not withheld from doing anything because of it. And I even give a, I even give a, um, at this point yearly, although I need to register for it, um, again, I need to register for it this year, I give a yearly panel at, um, Liberty City Anime Con in New York City on, be, on disabled characters in anime and the treatment of disabled characters in anime. So, when I initially heard about a silent voice, I was like, yeah, I should go see a silent voice. And then I did what everybody else on the planet did, and I want to go see your name instead. I chose to have Makoto Shinkai wrap his hand around my heart and pump the blood for me instead of going see a silent voice. And what's funny is, I went to, I, generally whenever I can, I go and see these movies, or I have to go see them in the city, with a really old friend of mine from college, and we we went to go see Silent Voice together, we also went to see, um, what's it called, um, The Night is Short Walk-On Girl together, and we went to go see this together. And... Usually she said yes because she learned over the years that I'm not going to ask her to go see something <laughs> if I think she'll hate it. So she, and usually I, if I'm if I'm going to see it, I usually it rises to a standard where she knows it's good to just say yes because I asked her. Um, but I this movie has a really person is really personal for me. In a way that it's not personal for a lot of people. And I I, I wanna state that up front because this is gonna be an odd conversation because it will be a lot more of me in this and me talking about this movie than there usually is or has been in the past. Um so to start this movie off I wanna give a slight synopsis uh, this movie focuses on a primarily on a character named Shoya Ishida and he they open they open the movie up in the past and Shoya is just kind of existing as a kid in public school in Japan i think in Tokyo but he's existing as a kid in public school in Japan and he's kind of a sh- shitty kid in 6th grade and then and they have all these different setups like there's a kid who that's like he has these three friends and then he has this girl who is set up very much to be a love interest and um her name and I'm going to give her name specifically is um, Naoka Ueno, and I'm gonna give her name because she will be important to my talking about this movie later on down the line. Um, And what happens is they get a transfer student, and the transfer student is the, like, the female protagonist of this movie, the the, and her name is Shoko Nishimiya. And Shoko is unique because she is deaf. And for anybody who knows anything about deaf people, uh, it's much like blindness and much like any disability. It's a sliding scale, meaning that deaf people can be anything from legally deaf, which means that, they, that by the legal definition of being able to hear something, they cannot, but they can still hear and function and all that shit. In the same way that being legally blind is different from being actually blind. Shoko is, from what you can tell in the show in In the movie or in the film, rather act as close to actually death as you can get before like it's complete it's complete silence permanently for the rest of your life and that me that translates to her wearing hearing aids, and i I actually knew someone like this in my past. I'm not going to say her name here because that's just not cool. But I knew someone who was deaf in the way that she could hear, but only with the aid of a hearing aid. I, I even wore a hearing aid as a kid because I didn't have enough shit wrong with me. But, um... Basically... Even though she's wearing the hearing aid, she cannot hear you and while she can talk, because often often people who are disabled have a period of time before they were before they were disabled, like they've a period of time when they could see or when or in my case, when I could I could use my left hand and left leg completely normally until I was about fifteen months old. When they found out Alex had a brain tumor, and they had to take it out of my skull. (laughs) Um, but, the thing with, so, what happens there is that Shoko could hear, could hear up to a point, and when you encounter, when you first meet her in the film, she can no longer hear which you can barely hear. And there's a scene we're all familiar with in anime and and specifically anime about transfer students, and that is that the the transfer student introduction scene. And this movie uses that to introduce her and introduce the, her, the audience and the cast of the movie to her disability, and that means that when the teacher calls her in, the, she introduces herself by pulling out a notebook, and she writes on the notebook, it says, My name is Shoko. Or my name is Nisha, Nisha Mia. If you want to talk to me, please use this notebook. And this cuts all these kids off at the knees, basically, because they don't like they don't know how to handle it. And it's it, the problem is, is that they it, now it becomes an effort for these kids to ask her like the question of like where are you from what kind- what kind of stuff do you like all the all the stuff that you see you know that you see kids do in um in anime in not only anime films but in real life like when when you were a kid and you met a new kid, you were fascinated because it was something new that came out that came into your world from outside that that you hadn't had access to before. I remember we had a um, exchange student from Greece in I think 8th grade, and everybody was just fascinated by her because we were all like, whoa, that, that's a whole other country. What are we going to do, Bob? Um, And it Cutting that off by the knees instantly, like as a little kid, you don't necessarily know what to do. Add that to a little interesting phenomenon that I've always experienced, but most people, but most people haven't, and that is when you're a when you're a kid and you're. And you have something some serious thing in your life. Something that is beyond just the the stupid, like little problems that people have in their lives. It becomes a a real it becomes a real dividing line between you and every one you'll ever meet because most people in the world don't have real problems and i don't mean to diminish anybody who has a a problem in their life right now that's important to you that's it it is deeply moving for you but if you step back and it does not and, and it does not and at the end of the day You'll, you still get to go home and go to bed, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Most, most of, like, the little minutiae issues that everybody, including me, deals with day-to-day are fine. But what that means is when you encounter an unfixable problem, part of you, part of everybody, freezes a little. And that's because there is something truly uncomfortable in the kind of empathy that someone can have for people who have problems that are real. Like, when I, when I tell you that I am a brain cancer survivor, part of you is like, Oh, that's really cool. That's awesome. I will tell you that is the way I get everybody to clap when I run my panel at Liberty City... at Liberty City Anime Con. But another part of you is like, holy shit, that's a big deal. That's why everybody claps and everybody has this sense of, like, genuine pride and humanity and empathy for someone who survived brain cancer. But for me, it's just a part of what I've been through... And for me, that thing is normal. And one of the best things about Shoko, the character, and about this movie is that the Shoko's family who you do meet eventually, you meet her mother and you meet um, uh, Yuzu who is um, Shoko's Shoko's, I think, little sister, and you get the sense that Shoko has had a world that is wholly has grown up. And you also meet Shoko's father, who, oh no, you don't meet Shoko's father, but you meet Shoko's mother, who is notably a single mother of two girls. So yeah, did that. Um, But you also meet, I think. At least they never show her father. But, you get, anyways, my point is, you get the sense that they are creating an air of normalcy for Shoko that is precisely if this is the way your life is, it is normal. And that's, that may not seem important, but when you are a disabled kid, specifically, when you are someone who's not just like, who's not just a little odd, when you are someone who is definably different from, definably and physically different from everyone around you, it is important that you get to feel normal because if you go through your entire life not feeling normal then it it erects a metaphorical brick wall between you and every other part of life you you will never get to be you will never get to be normal because you have never been normal and Later on, when you grow up, you realize that the world is different by default. And you realize that you can exist in that world exactly as you are without anyone... without being made to feel inferior because you are different. And that's, that's really important, and it's really important that... Shoko's family demonstrates that as a guiding principle in raising her. And you really see that once the character has grown up and she's in high school. And yes, she is extremely different from everyone else, but she still has the capacity to be with everyone else and be connected to people because she was told her entire life by her family, this is normal. This whatever is normal for you is your normal and it's not something that you need to be ashamed of. Interestingly, in the movie, they and I think that this was a choice on by Eleven Arts, the studio by Eleven Arts and even um um Kyoto Animation, the studios that made this the people who made this film. Um Shoya's um Shoya's family that he lives with are his sister and his sister's kid, who you'll know who you notice immediately is black. <laughs> And then, and they kind of use it as a gag more than as a serious thing, but you're led to believe that Shoya's older sister is really married to this guy and has been married to this guy for, at least since Shoya was in fourth or fifth grade. And it's just this big black dude. (laughs) who, once again, is used as just, like, a poignant what-the-fuck-was-that gag at first, and then later, like, uh, like, oh, no, he's, uh, like, big big black dad is here. And so, Shoya has his own, like, defined normalcy in the fact that he doesn't live, him and something in, something happened to his parents that he lives with his older sister. His older sister is married to someone who is clearly not from Japan and has a kid with them and like he cares for the kid whose name is um, Mira and she's just adorable adorable little black girl. Um, And Mira oh good god is going to have an interesting universe um, because she is going to grow up biracial in a country that calls that has like a specific idea of biracial people. Um and I also think it's interesting that they have a little biracial girl in this movie when Cup Noodle just got fucking dragged through the dirt rightfully for by the way, I'm also biracial, so this is this is also a hot button for me. Um, I'm I'm a lot of I'm a lot of I'm a lot of extra things, but um. Cup Noodle just turned the famous uh, tennis star Naomi Na- Naomi Osaka just into a white girl in a new in a commercial for Cup Noodle. And if you've ever seen Naomi Osaka, you know she is not just a white girl. She is definably half black, half Japanese. Um, but so it's really interesting that they give um, Shoya a specific a, a a similarity to Shoko in the way that they are both from abnormal family settings. But, you know, uh, Shoya is ultimate. So, when Shoko shows up to class, you know, Shoya is uh, kind of just a goofball, but he's, like, kind of stunned that she really can't hear her. And people start to pick on, people start to pick on Shoko. And there's a, there's one, there's a scene in the early part of the movie where, um, a character, what's her name, what's her name? Oh, by the way, the the black guy's named Pedro. Because God damn it, they're always named Pedro. Um, a character named Miyoko says, "Like I'll learn sign language because they they." So this is another. This is going to be another fun personal story from Alex. Um, oftentimes when you are disab when you are a disabled kid and you are in class, there is, and sometimes this is the right approach. Sometimes it's the wrong approach there is some kind of attempt to help your classmates understand your disability and, and also help your classmates, like, be, be closer to you. So Shoko is, because Shoko is deaf, one of the first steps for, you know, deaf people is, yo, go learn sign language. (laughs) And Shoko has learned sign language since she was a kid, had known sign language since she was a kid. And they bring in a sign language teacher to the class at some point. Oh, but before that, we need to get to the most important and terrifying part of this film, and that is the fact that in America... We have a law called the ADA, or Americans with Disability Act, and it is it undergirds a lot of what you see in the world. It is why we have disabled parking spaces, it is why every building you see has some kind of wheelchair access, it is why all kinds of things happen in American life, lots of them municipal and structural, um, but... They don't. They don't have that in every other country in the world. If you go to Europe, they have similar things, but they're not as. They're not as extreme or as kind of grand as the ADA in lots of cases. So in Europe, you don't see wheelchair access ramps everywhere, um, but there are. There like there are people to help disabled people and all that stuff. At least if this movie posits correctly. This deaf deaf sixth sixth grader did not have anybody to help her in class when she couldn't hear the teacher talking. (laughs) And if you've ever struggled in school, imagine what it would be like if you were struggling because you could not hear the words coming out of your teacher's mouth as they were teaching the class. That is terrifying. And that scene, like, shook me in a way, in this movie, shook me in a way that is just not, most things don't shake me because I usually like. I don't have a connection that's that personal to movies, o- oftentimes. I mean, it's not, it's not entirely uncommon that I have a personal connection to a movie. Believe me, I run a podcast about anime on the internet. I have lots of connections to lots of films, and lots of cartoons, and lots of mov and lots of TV shows. But that was like, oh shit, this poor girl, that's fucked up. And it's it's made all worse by the fact that she's getting, like, she's getting teased in the way that... So, I happen to like get really young kids because really young kids see, like, a complicated adult, and they're just like, there's no judgment made. They're just like curious. and that's fine. But there comes a point with kids, right around the what we would call junior high school age, curiously. Well, actually right around fourth or fifth grade, actually, unfortunately, where that curiosity flips from curiosity to a mix of frustration and fear of the unknown and that and that is on full display in this in this show um if you want a great another great example of it go watch the first episode of my hero academia like the very first episode of the first season because uh, it sounds weird <laughs> but yo midoriya is a disabled kid at the beginning of that show, because he exists as a normal human in a world of people who have superpowers, which makes him not only a minority but un but incapable of doing things that lots of other people can do because they have superpowers. Um, but the. The result is that kids tease kids they don't understand, and they they see them as losers and weak, and a whole bunch of other things. And the first part of a silent voice is devoted to that feeling among those kids, and it. But what happens is, is like there's some what you can always expect kids to fuck with other kids. Like, it's just the thing that's gonna happen. It's... It's not... It's ne- You will never erase bullying completely, but there becomes a point where bullying shifts from being just the thing that happened to being truly malicious. And that's laid out Plainly and clearly in this movie, most egregiously by first the kids start taking Shoko's notebook and they start well they, they, they for actually that's, that's in the wrong order. I want to be really specific about this because it's in the, there are important scenes here for the rest of the movie. Um, first the kids. Just start poking her and prodding her, and Shoya kind of leads the way on this. He, <coughs> <coughs> he. The the big notable thing he does is he rolls up like his workbook, it's like classroom workbook, and he screams through it into Shoko's ear, and it like startles her because it's loud. You realize it's loud enough for even her to hear, which means it is probably ear-piercingly loud. And it, like, and she's, like, fucked up by that. She's like, huh! Because, once again, when you're that deaf, you can't... You hearing something is not that common. So, like, the act of it happening, it's just like, ho! It's really startling. Um, but it continues from there. Eventually, him and him and um Ueno, who once again will come up later, again later. Play, keep away with her hearing aid, and they also routinely throw her notebooks into the school pond. And they ultimately, the movie ultimately had this really fucked up and heartbreaking, but, like, shown as having a playful bend to it, which is also fucked up because, for a very specific reason, which I'll mention in a second, of this montage of them stealing her hearing aids and playing keep away and throwing them in the trash, throwing them in the in the river, throwing them in the pond, you know, like smashing them. And it's so fucked up that it's portrayed as a playful thing because that's what the kids feel like it is. Like they're they're teasing her, they're playing with her there it, lots of times bullying in the act when someone is in the act of doing the bullying it feels playful it's all good fun like you, you know it, it, it's just for a lark it you are having fun by bullying another person you are taking fun you are taking fun out of ruining someone's life that that is a thing that happens and it it's just the way bullying is but it all comes crashing down when um Shoko transferred to another school and nobody knows why and um at first And, and, and they bring in a, they bring in, specifically, they bring in a guidance counselor, and they say, Shoko will no longer be attending the school. Her, her mother felt that she was being physically and emotionally abused in our school. And they say, specifically, if anybody knows who instigated this, please let us know. And they pause. And it, this is the point at which everybody in the class realizes, like, Oh, we fucked up! We fucked up this little girl's life! For And, like... To be clear, Shoya is shown as being the primary force that bullies Shoko in the beginning of the movie. But he is not the only one who did it. Everyone in this movie is culpable in some way. Whether it's everybody in his class is culpable in some way. Whether it's Ueno who was like the chief girl bully. Whether it's um... Uh ba-da-ba-ba-ba. um or this other girl, I forget her name. She's not listed here, which is um I wanna get more characters. I wanna get more characters. Here we got more characters. Um whether it's um what's her name? Whether it's Miki who Just kind of stood on the sidelines and was, like, perfectly happy. Like, being nice to Shoko at first blush, but not doing anything about the bullying. Uh, uh, All of them were in on it, with the exception of... Ah, where is she? With the exception of... Uh, um I'm sorry. I wanna get these names right because they are important to the rest of the movie. Um and I and I realize that this particular podcast will probably be a little long, but I want I I want that for this movie because I think that this movie is really and truly important. Um hold on. Uh bah the the character I'm just gonna say the character who learns sign language to be better friends with Shoko in the beginning of the movie. she is the only person who steps up and tries to really be Shoko's friend and tries to offer uh, not only a helping hand but an accommodating one and as as Somebody who is disabled, I can tell you that one of the most heartwarming things you can do for a disabled person is to A, not ask how you were disabled, how you became disabled, but also to like accept and understand that that is that person's normal and do everything you can to be able to help that person, you know, be, and help that person feel normal. And in Shoko's case, um, someone someone else in her class offering to learn sign language is a huge olive branch because it means that Shoko doesn't have to, like, write notes back and forth with this person to talk to them, that this person is willing to say, I will learn a second language so we can just talk and not have the burden of a pad of paper separating us at all times and that's really valuable um my the actually one of the funniest stories i will tell um i'm going to tell right now is that the person i want to go see this movie with i've known for over a decade significantly over a decade since I was in college when I was 19 and um she she's actually Japanese and many many for many many years she has we've gone to dinner on my birthday and one year we went to a really 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 expensive gig house and the entire time Actually, on most weekends, we've been to expensive houses. now that I think about it, and every time she's done this. She takes my food from me and cuts it for me, because I, like a moron, or just... It wasn't possible to have something cut up, or even if I say, I want something, my food cut, like, cut before it gets here. They can't always... People don't always do that correctly. So, she... And she does this for more than just steak, but steak is the way I can demonstrate it the best. She compensates for the fact that I can't do something. But the other thing is, she doesn't even fucking ask. She just, like... It's seamless, it's weird, and it's... It's something about her that I've always noticed, and something about her that I will always appreciate... But at the same time, like, it's a demonstration of friendship and caring in the physical world and appreciation and understanding in the physical world. It's a little mind-blowing if you, like, back up away from it. And I should also mention, we have never... We are now and have never been romantically involved. We have been, like... We've had a, I would call it, almost brother-sister-like relationship in a lot of ways. And that materializes lots of times in behaviors that make us seem like an old, weird married couple, which is hilarious. And if she hears this, she's gonna murder me. (laughs) But, whatever. Um, but... So... Everyone except for the character who learned sign language is culpable in this. But because Shoya is, like, the most culpable, and he is the one who is noticed, who people notice instigating the most, the teacher, like, straight up says, because even the teacher feels like shit, because this this girl who is just trying to, like, get through school, was, like, physically and emotionally abused. Like, under his tutelage, is now, like, has now run... had to remove herself from the situation. She... He's just like... He's like, Shoya, we know it was you. And he totally fucking lights him up in front of the entire class and then Ueno like shoots him in the back both like spatially in the movie and like metaphorically and he is he is scapegoated for his actions, yes, but for kind of the entire class's actions, because Yes, he bullied Shoko, and that is wrong. But the whole class got in on it. You know, his friends... It's notable that his friends never once... That his friends at this point in the movie never once... Said, like, hey man, chill the fuck out. She's not okay. And... That... That's important, because... You know, good people do not get to sit on the sidelines of this shit. At any point. At any point in history, if you think you're a good person, you sit on the sidelines while you watch someone get bullied, you don't get a pass. It's not a thing you get to just sit out. Because if if someone is being bullied... If you see someone being physically or emotionally bullied and you don't do something about it, you're part of it. And... But the difference is that Shoya was scapegoated and Shoya was... The result of that is Shoya's shitty blonde friend who I forget his name, but he's... He's only important in the movie so far as he is the kind of flashpoint for the... for the whole, um... for, for the conceit of Shoya's character in the future, along with the fact that Shoya's sister... takes all this money she's saved up and goes to, um... Uh, Shoko's mother, and give Shoko's mother the money for the hearing aids. Like, that, all that money for the hearing aids that Shoya is now burdened on the fact that he trashed. Burned with the fact that he trashed. And uh, Shoko's mother, um, Yeko, is like... Fucking devastated. She's fucking devastated, and she's furious. And like, if if they're the mom of the year for 2016 in anime, it should be it should be Yako because she is so fiercely protective of her chi- of her child. Um, that like she fucking she lays some motherfuckers out in this movie. <laughs> She, like, puts Shoya's older sister, like, in her plate. Like, she's just like, you son of dick dickbag! <laughs> kind of, like, treatment towards Shoya's older sister. And, like, it, in a way that is like, how could you let this, how could you let your kids think this was okay? How could you let your little brother, someone in your family, think that treating someone like this is okay? do better kind of thing. Like, And it's important that people say that because oftentimes bullies aren't given the... And I, I don't necessarily mean to turn this into a PSA, but it's important for this movie, which is why I keep talking about bullying. A lot of the way bullies are is allowable by the world around them. People don't, enough people don't say to bullies, this isn't okay. This isn't the way you act. This isn't how you do this. You you know, you respect people. You, uh, and the, the golden rule sounds corny, but, you know, you, if you function under that, and if you, put that towards anybody who you who you associate with, then they should un- then like you should make sure they understand that, especially kids. I remember when I was in I wanna say fourth grade. Uh no, it was fifth grade specifically. Um I have a weird memory. Um I remember everything in some way. It's bizarre. But um I ...was walking up to the bus stop, and there was this kid, this kid who, um, lives in the same neighborhood as me, and there was this other kid, um, and the other kid was, act- was actually in, um, special education classes with me, but he was, like, shoving this other, like, the, the first kid relentlessly, and he wasn't leaving him alone... And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? What's going on? And I just, like, I'm going to call the uh, kid who was bullying the kid, the first kid, B. And I just, like, I physically separated them. I'm like, B, what the fuck? What are you doing? And I cursed him out. I I cursed at him like a sailor flipped him off a bunch of times, and, like, got the other kid onto the bus, went on the bus myself, acted as a barrier, and, like, we rode to school. And there's something really important you need to understand about what I'm about to say next. Our principal was disabled. Like, he walked around with a cane. He was really awesome. (laughs) And... I got called into the principal's office for defending this kid because I used potty mouth words. I told the kid, I told this kid B to fuck off and to go fuck himself, and then I flipped him off like three times. Um, and the principal was like, "Alex, I'm like." He was picking on this other kid. What was I supposed to do? Also, this was at the bus stop, yo. And the, like, immediate snapback on B was amazing. <laughs> like, it, like it, the whole house of cards fell down on top of him. It was incredible. And, like, the principal was like, what w- basically told the kid, and not, so, and not the words I use, to go fuck himself. <laughs> and what was he doing bullying other kids and why was he complaining about shit that happened outside of school on school ground. Like he used every single part of the system to fucking reprimand this kid into the ground. I think the kid was even I think B was even ground was even like grounded and or given like detention or kept in at recess because of that. It was a prideful moment for me. Like I I intervened in bullying and I stopped it. That kid later went on to still be a dickbag. But, you know, I stopped the bullying. And so, as a result of of Shoya's actions, his, like, shitty blonde friend who was also in on the bullying turns on him in middle school and is like, yo, this kid is a bully, stay away from him. And at which point, you're like, mm, true, but you are, too, because you let it happen, you little shitbag. What? For, like, the 19th time in this movie, I want to jump into the screen and German suplex you into a fucking ballard, you piece of shit child. And Shoya is, then, because he is branded as a bully... He is ostracized from his entire class. And he is, he develops severe anxiety. He develops the inability to look anybody outside of his family in the eyes. And they have this amazing way in this movie of demonstrating otherness. And that demonstration is with, I don't know if this is in the manga or not, but I've, i be curious to know if it was. It it they put these like wiggly Xs over everybody's um faces. And the way you tell that he starts to make friends with people throughout the movie is the X's fall away like paper. And it's it's just it's a cool it it's a thing that Animate, it, it's, it's a reason for this movie to be animated instead of live-action. Because in live-action, they would have had to... They would have still been able to do it, but it would have been either odd-looking or it would have been different. And it it would have a different effect. And it's... It's effect, using the X's and having the X's fall away, is really revelatory. And it also plays an important, like, plot. It demonstrates the plot of the movie. And because Shoya has such... Shoya is thrown into, like, deep fucking depression by this. And because Shoya is so, like, shook by this, he enacts a plan. He gets a part-time... He gets a part-time job. He makes, like... He makes... All of them, he makes, like, basically as, you're led to believe, like, pile like, a a fat stack of fucking money. It's never said how much the hearing aids cost, but you're led to believe that he makes that amount up over, like, years of a shitty part-time job pushing, pushing, um shopping carts in a supermarket park parking lot. He makes all this money up, and he has this creepy-ass motherfucking calendar where, like, the rest of the month is fucking ripped away, where he packages the money up, leaves it for his older sister, and then he walks to the bridge to fucking kill himself. No, no joke. And, at first you feel like he, at first, it's, portrayed like he's feeling bad for himself because he feels bad and he doesn't know what he did. But you learn that he does know what he did and that he is, he is trying to be... He understands that he... That his actions have created a negative, rippling effect in everyone's lives and he should pay for that. And he's right, but... It, in being right about that, he has grown out of it, and so what the rest of the movie becomes is: a he runs into Shoko, and he realizes that Shoko had transferred back, that Shoko is, you know, go- taking special remedial classes at at her at a different at a different school. It, but it, at a school specifically for people with disabil- i think for people with disabilities um oh no she's taking she's taking advanced sign language classes at with other people um at like a community center and he seeks her out he he ultimately meets her her younger sister get the shit slapped out of him by their mother, and there's this... He, he, he sees that he, he realizes what Shoko... And Shoko always wanted, was always making this one gesture. And it's the sign language gesture for friendship. And he never understood what that meant. And he always thought she was a weirdo. And but once but anytime and she's like she would say she would say, she would muster the effort because if you don't know anything about deaf people, deaf people can talk, they just don't. And A because they don't like they don't speak clearly. And Because they don't speak clearly, it's hard to understand them. And because it's hard to understand them, they don't talk. And when you don't talk for most of your life, your vocal cords are not used to it, because they're not used often, and you... It takes a lot of effort for you to speak to someone when you're deaf. Because you have to concentrate, on what you hope is the right word, on what you... And, like, concentrate to do the act of talking. And also, you have a lot of hang-ups about how your voice probably sounds. And so... When she says... And they have a really... They have a really great, um... Demonstration of what she sounds like in the um in the VO for this for this film. If you want another great, if you want a, actually another hilariously great deaf character, like best deaf character until a silent voice came out. Um, you can go watch, and it's really the only reason to go watch this. Um, Nicholas in Gangster, he is off. He is like. An adult who's a badass who's fucking also deaf. But he. The way they have him speak is. Also the way you would hear a deaf guy speak. Like, he. He. He talks, but not. But only when he has to. Or only when he feels he has to or really wants to. Um. But he. So she, and that's important for a little later, but they kind of, he realizes that she was just looking for a friend, and he does his, and he does not only his best, but his, like, he gives 110%, he learns, he learns sign language, he seeks her out, which is, I can't stress enough that if you know somebody who's disabled and you want to be friends with them and you and it seems difficult at first it's because lots of disabled people myself included have really strong attachments to the people they know and they their friendships are important to them in a way that is true that can be true of other people, but to us, all of our friends are like family because we are so separate from 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 other people that for people to recognize us and to want to be friends with us is ama- is amazing on all kinds of levels. I. I haven't. My other my other friend, who I also went to college with, is really good friends with me, and we've been friends for we've been friends for longer than I'm friends with the girl from Japan. I have a lot of female friends, um, and she goes, "You and K are weird, or you and your friend. Oops, I might bleep that out. You and your friend, you and K. I'm gonna call her. You and K are real weird." because you're way too close for not being, for not being romantically involved, and it. it and I'm like, yeah, but look at how many friends I have. It's basically you and her, and I'm equally as close to you, <laughs> except for a few, like, arbitrary barriers that We've all set up with each other so, like, a line doesn't get crossed that can't be crossed back over, and and those are really arbitrary and fall away at the drop of a hat if necessary. And it, so what I'm trying to say here, is if you, or if you have any kind of even friendship interest in somebody with a disability, make make that effort to reach out, make that effort to continuously reach out, because that's what Shoya does in the second part of the movie, in the main part of the film. And it means that they get to become friends, and they get to become real friends, and they become close in a way that is diff- that would that's difficult to see from the outside. And ultimately... It, that drives Shoko to love Shoya, and you realize that later on in the film that Shoko, particularly after Shoko gets heartbreaking news that her hearing aids are that only one of her hearing aids is helping her anymore that she had got that she her her deafness had declined you're led to believe again. Um, And, oh, and by the way, I want to bring this up because I think it's really important. I know this is a really long podcast, but what the fuck ever. Uh, This is important to me, and I hope you enjoy it, but this is important to me. Um, They point, they make a point of showing you her hearing aids when she's a kid because they, like, straight up take them out of her ears. And the hearing aids when she's a kid, while expensive, they're like $1,500 a fucking piece, I know because I know, are like the shitty, like, flesh tone, old people bullshit. <laughs> and then when she's in high school, you see these, like, beautiful, designed, custom like red and glittery hearing aids that she wears. And it's just like this happen- this happens this happens as a disabled person. When you are younger because you are growing up, there's not a lot of like it's like the minim the minimum amount of effort is expended into making something that's right for you because it's just gonna break. Something will happen to it. Like, you know, When she was a kid, Shoko probably had to take her hearing aids out if she wanted to go swimming. Which means that... But if she wears them all the time, she might just forget, jump in the pool, pair of hearing aids, ruined. Not her fault. But also, you don't want to spend the maximum amount of money if that's going to happen every once in a while. Just like... Like, Alex is going to break a leg brace, like... Sometimes weekly, <laughs> so we're not gonna spend a whole lot of money making Alex's braces like the custom awesomeness they could be. But now that I'm adult, an adult, and like I don't go full on miles per hour down the street running constantly, mostly because I'm out of shape, but also because I'm not sick anymore. Um, I have like this beautiful. Handcrafted, like, black-as-night, awesome leg brace. And I just, I, that was a, that was a weird little like, ha, they got that right moment that I had with the movie when I was like, oh, yeah, she gets the nice hearing aid now because she's old enough to like, remember like, oh, I gotta take these out before I go to the beach kind of thing. Um, but, so, yeah, the movie turns into this love story between Shoya and Shoko, and also a story about Shoya reconnecting to the world and making friends again. And they make this big group of friends, and then, it, like, at a pivotal point in the movie, it all falls apart. But part of the reason it falls apart is because of of Ueno, and Ueno is. You're led to believe she just, like... She grew up and nobody told her that... Nobody told her explicitly that she was being a total bitch about the world. And she... Is given a period of time alone with Shoko. And she basically tells Shoko... I hate you. I think you're a bitch. You need to go die. And... Shoko tries to, like... She tried to reach out and tries to be kind and tried to be a like like she tries to like appeal to humanity which and i I've had what happened to Shoko happen to me later in life than than happened to Shoko, but I've had her that happen to me um in a different way, but similar enough where I understand what what happened that scene in a real way and it takes it takes a like world it takes a world ending event in this movie for Ueno to realize that she's the problem not Choco and sadly those world ending events don't happen often this world ending event is that um New Year comes around, and um, there's a, a really funny, funny, hilarious scene that, when you look at it in the context of the movie, could have veered the movie into a different place, or into the end of the movie earlier if they hadn't pulled the scene off the way they did, and that is when Shoko confesses to Shoya, and Shoko says, I like you to Shoya in, like, oh, the way, like, I'm in love with you in, like, an unmistakable way, but because of the way that I like you sounds in Japanese, it's very similar to Suki, which is, which means moon, and it's Shoya just, like, innocently it's just like, what do you mean, the moon? And it is so embarrassing uh like Shoko is like she could. she runs home, she slams into her bed and kicks her feet furiously. She's so embarrassed and so upset and that that like scene in the movie you notice that Shoko is like put her hair up and sho and she's talking to her family. She's talking to her sister, and her sister freaks out. She's like, oh, fuck! What's happening? Why are you talking? This is weird. (laughs) And she's like, also, you put your hair up. You're being weird. Why are you being weird? I'm concerned. And uh, it's because Shoko is, like, hyped herself up, and she's going to confess to Shoya, and it just all falls apart and the thing that could have been prevented in this movie is shoko and shoya and uh yuzu and their and shoya and yuzu's mother all go to um the fire all go to the fireworks for new year together and like shoko's mother is now like accepting of the fact that like man shoya's just here and like i he he was a shitbag to my kid. But he seems genu- like he seems to genuinely want to be close to Shoko, so I'm just gonna back off and I'm 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 happy that he's learned the error of his ways and that he's come around to being a good human and not only being a good human but being the kind of human who genuinely cares for and you're led to understand loves my daughter now. <laughs> And she just accepts it, so she's fine. She's no longer, like, like on-sighting this guy every time. <laughs> Which is literally what happens, like, when she sees him when he's in a, when, like, in the movie proper after the opening part. She just, like, smacks him! And he, he, he's just like, oh, fuck, I deserve that, I guess. Fuck, I really deserve that. I forgot. Wow, I deserve that. But, um... Shoko leaves. And she's like, I- I'm not feeling really well, I'm going home. And Shoyo recognizes a distance in her. And so he goes home, and they have this weird conversation about, like, she's 18 already, and A, that's the first time they put an age on these characters and like you're like, oh, okay. They're they're eighteen, I get it. And you think that and but that also sets up in your like anime brain, like, oh, there's gonna be like a weird, like romantic scene. I thought they were gonna straight up like have some sort of sex scene. Um, I was prepared for that because this movie like this movie Makes that not, makes it not an abnormal possibility that not just me being a total pervo, but it makes it not an abnormal possibility that, that could have been where they were going. But the way they were going was Shoko was going to kill herself, she was going to jump off her balcony and fucking kill herself. And but Shoya gets there in time, he catches her at like. The last moment, he's holding on to her, struggles her up, and then he falls off the balcony and goes into a coma. And Shoko is fucking devastated. I'm, I, it, because the guy she likes, the guy who's, like... The, guy, the person who acted as her light in the world... As the person who gave her the ability, who, who, yes, the the person who at every point somehow guided within her life. The person who she'd always wanted to be close to, but never could be, and then was. saved, stopped her from dying, and then, but because of that, he put himself into a coma. And then she tried to go to see him. And Ueno stops him. And Ueno stops her. And at this point, I want to mention uh, one of the friends who is, like, the first quote-unquote friend that Shoya makes outside of Shoko. And his name is... Where is he? He he looks like, um... He looks like that little shit kid from My Hero, actually. Where is he? He's, He's here. Um, oh. Um... Tomohiro and Tomohiro is like this like he is like the kind of guy who is like meek and who is meek and standoffish. But like once you get to know him, he's like entirely too too confident in himself in a way that makes him fucking charming as goddamn hell. Um uh, we we could all do so well as to have a friend like Tomohiro, he's great, and he tried to get Ueno to open up the hospital room and let Shoko in, but she won't. And they have this... I don't think it's the second time they do a montage, it might be the third, but they have this montage of Ueno leaving the hospital every day at the end of visiting hours. Like, Ueno has, like, stopped going to school, or is going to or is going to school for half days, then going to, like, like, care for Shoya the other half of the day, or whatever she's doing. She is, like, that is what she's doing with her life. She is Shoya's, like, overseer, basically. And they have her coming out of the hospital, and every time she comes out of the hospital, she encounters Shoko waiting there. Sometimes with an umbrella, sometimes, like, they show it in, like, all the, like, the entire time that Shoya's out, which you're led to believe is, like, a good couple months and then they have a scene where Ueno is like kicking the shit out of Shoko and like you asshole the guy i like the guy who you stole from me is in a coma because of you you piece of shit and then Yeko comes in and just kicks the daylight out of Ueno, and they get into like a knockout, a drag-out knockdown fucking fifth fight between a grown woman and a teenage girl, and it's like, yeah, and then Shoya's older sister just separates them. It's like, fucking knock it off. We're all kind. Of, we're all here because of the same person. We all care about the same person, and she brings Joya's older sister brings this common senseness the whole scenario that no one can deny, and it. That's the point at which the flip, like the, a change happens to uh, to Ueno, and. Shoko, by the way, also has a broken arm, so now she's like, she's like, two strikes, um, and ultimately, Shoya wakes up, and just like this big dramatic scene where Shoya and Shoko meet up, and they like, finally have a moment where it's like, they're at complete equal, and they can be with each other, and it's like all a happy ending. But the funniest thing that happens at the end is they go to um, Shoya's school festival, and that's when Shoya revealed like, I have really bad anxiety and can't look people in the eye, and I need to, like... Like, people think I'm a (laughs) shitbag. And Shoka's just like, Okay! And this is the best thing. This is the best thing. (laughs) Because... And I mentioned this before when I talked about my friend Kay and her, like, cutting up my steak. Shoko's like, it's okay, you can look down, I don't give a shit. Shoko takes his hand, looks straight ahead, and they just, like, go through the festival and he's looking down, but he can hear, she's looking up, can't hear or talk to people, and it's this... It's this moment in the show when you realize, like, this is what a couple, and it doesn't, at that point, it doesn't even have anything to do with disability. It has to do with loving people for who they are and loving your partner, whoever they may be, for who they are, and accepting their flaws instead of trying to pretend that their perfection is why you love them. And dealing with them as they as they come, and Shoko is Shoko is depending on Shoya, and Shoya depending on Shoko equally at that at that point, and that is amazing. It is it is what that is what love looks like when it's real, when, and when and when it's real, and you don't care about what it looks like to other people. It's just, it's just, it's really incredible, as like, as like a scene. It's played for last, but it's really an incredible scene of the movie. And at the end of the movie, they kind of end it with the fact that, like, Ueno still acts distant and still an asshole, but she cares, gen- but she cares about Shoko because Shoko cares about Shoya, and sh- like, in a weird way, she comes to understand and ultimately cares about Shoko too. And it, it this whole movie, and I know that I've been ranting for an hour and a half, and usually these are like forty-eight minutes to an hour, but it, this is a really important film. It has more things that it wants to say about the world than a film like Your Name does, which has something to say about the world, but it... Your Name is a successful film because Makoto Shinkai got off his got off his grind and was like, I will make something that is ultra, that is Shinkai sad, in a way that is marketable. A Silent Voice is a successful film because it is trying to do something with its storytelling that is I think profound it is trying to tell is trying to tell a story about characters with flaws and characters with and and characters with real disabilities that are existing in the real world as it is, and it's trying to show the what real human kindness and what real human love for people who are truly different, is. And it's trying to show all the different, um, like, variants of it. And to end this, I want to talk about a character who I haven't talked about much, and that is Miki. And Miki is uh, is this, like, blonde-picked, is this, like, you like to believe blonde, pigtailed girl who wears glasses all the time, and there's a point in the movie at which she comes in and her hair is let down. She's wearing contacts, and like she's drawn differently. She, she, like, because of the way they draw her, it like she's a total knockout of a girl, and like all the girls in class, are like. Wow, you look so great with your hair down, and she she plays it off like, yeah, like i didn't, I just didn't have time to do it this morning. It's really because I'm lazy, blah 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 blah. But you know she never puts her hair back up. she never put she never goes back to that look And there's a point at which Shoya makes this conscious decision to like shit all over everybody because he thinks. Because um uh, Sh- um Shoko's little sister gives her his gives her, her camera and says, you know, take pictures of the fer- of the Ferris Wheel when you're up there with Ueno, which is where Ueno says, You're you're a bitch, I hate you to Shoko. And the way that you're shown this is um is Yuru, or Yuzu, rather, takes... puts the camera in video mode and gives it to Shoko so they can, like, see what the fuck happened up there. And Shoya, like, gets very, very, like, as part of that, and as part of other co- other parts of the movie, the whole... F- the whole friend group start like breaks up, and it is Shoya specifically who decides I'm going to break all of this up. I like I'm done. He remains friends with Shoko, and um, and Tomohiro is just like it's cool, man. I get it. I'm a shit bag, and like he laughs it off, and he's he he is. The awesome that you expect him to be in that situation, even though you weren't expecting it, and it's like awesome. But he—that's the point of the movie, which he said to Miki, like you know, you're complicit in it. Like you, you, you let the you let me bully Shoko when we were kids. This is your fault. I like 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 this, you're part of this too. You know, I I noticed that you like started being an attention whore, is basically what he says and uh, that that flaw is never back is ne- they never backpedal on that flaw from Mickey they just let they just let everyone understand that that's who she is and they under they let everyone understand that that's who all these that all these characters are they presented they give them a full fleshed-out thing, including Shoko. Shoko, you know, is... wants to see the best in the world, regardless of what happens, and it is, like, like... it is to her detriment lots of times. She tries to be nice to Ueno, and Ueno is, until the very end of the movie an unending bitch to her and it but shoko always responds with kindness and it, it, and up until the moment when it and at the end of the movie you realize that they're all friends but they're all friends in a real way where they understand who each other are and they all have relationships with each other, regardless of relationships with everyone else, and the thing that it's built around is Shoko and Shoya's relationship. It's built around Shoya not only repenting, but accepting and choosing to love Shoko for everything she is, not just for not not just for the fact that she's a beautiful girl. Not just because she's disabled, but because of the whole of her as a person. And that is... Man, that's the dream. I gotta tell you, that's the dream. And on that note, now that we've ranted for a full hour and a half, over an hour and a half, including the advertisement, um, I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And if you like this podcast, you can um check it out over at my new thing which is called lunchboxpublishing dot com. You can either go to lunchboxpublishing dot com um by typing it into the search bar all lowercase. Um or you can click the descrip you can click the link in the description of this podcast, but that's where like all the stuff I do about anime um, and occasionally live-action things adjacent to anime-like um, Lost in Translation live. I, um, that's all I'm going to say about that, because I don't want to get myself in hot water. But <laughs> by not by saying I'm going to do something and then not releasing it at a timely way. But um, I hope you like it, and if you did like it, definitely share it with your friends. Rate me on iTunes, 5 stars, um, or whatever your podcasting app of choice is. I can be found everywhere. Uh, but until next time, I'll talk to you later.